the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Morning. <laughs> right. So, as Murray announced last week, we're in this new series which is written up on our I quite like that door, eh? It's quite good. Might be our new Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. We're maybe in a rush. <laughs> Just an A. All good. Um, so the renew together part's right. So that's what we're looking at. Um, formerly known as prayer and self-denial. So last week Murray introduced us to the series with the parable of the sower. Detailing the types of soil and he brought up a great point that stuck with me actually that the soil or the state of our hearts isn't just important at the point of conversion uh, or when we first believe and get saved but it's something that we should actually be monitoring on a consistent basis so they're always ready to receive the word uh, the word of God and, and bear its fruit he also introduced us to the verse that we're going to be looking at in detail today so that's Isaiah forty-three nineteen. It says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now there are two other verses that go along with this, which is 20 and 21, which is, The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters to the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This place have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. So for a little bit of context, this is found in the book of Isaiah the prophet. And this book is generally broken up into two parts. Chapters 1 to 39, which clearly talk about this upcoming destruction of Jerusalem and the captivity that the Israelites are going to face in Babylon. Then we have chapters 40 onwards, which appear to come from the perspective of someone that's actually living in that time of captivity. Because that time difference is quite big, like 150 years or something like that. Very scholarly people think that these chapters, 40 onwards, might have been written by another prophet. uh, Jeruto Isaiah, or the second Isaiah. But that it's included in the book of Isaiah. But we don't really have time to go into any of that. So in any case, like all scripture, it's truth. And the most obvious thing to me here is that it sounds like the prophet that God is speaking through is speaking to a very disappointed and disillusioned, meaning let down, discouraged group of Israelite elites living in captivity far from home, their home which has been destroyed, including the beautiful temple that Solomon built for the Lord. So, and I, I get this because the Lord in the chapters before 43 is saying things like Isaiah 40:15, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and counted as the small dust of the balance, Behold, he taketh up isles as a very little thing. And verse 17, all nations before him are nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. So I imagine that the Israelites who were living in the city of Babylon were probably blown away by its sheer size. The Greek historian Herodotus claimed that the Babylon's city surpassed any wonder of any city in the known world, specifically the walls. He said they were 56 miles long, which is 90 kilometers. 
80 feet thick, 24 meters thick, and 320 feet, which is 97 meters high, with houses on top. That, like, that's like 25 stories. Like, I'm involved in a project that's seven stories high. I can tell you, even these days, that's enough of a logistical nightmare to go up that high. So, and, and at one time, there were apparently 200,000 people living there. So to me, it's like the Lord is saying to these Israelites who must have been looking around and seeing all this, no matter how impressive all this man-made stuff is around you, no matter how strong and powerful your enemies may seem, it's still nothing to me. He's still way bigger than all of it. And that leads into our main focus point for today. But first, a bit of a story. So recently, in celebration of Zamu, who's not here, um, in the 21 years that the Lord's blessed him with, we went to uh, one of these escape rooms in Hamilton. Has anybody done one of these before? You have? Yeah. For those who haven't, it's like a room that you go into, or a series of rooms, and you generally have to solve a whole bunch of puzzles to escape. Uh, but our room is a little bit different. See, this was a heist. So we were pretend bank robbers, which we easily got into the role. Um, and we could leave the room at any point, or the series of rooms. Our mission was to get as much of the cash and gold and jewels that were hidden in these rooms and safety deposit boxes and all kinds of things, as much of those out as possible. And importantly, the lady said, who was giving us a briefing, you must listen out for your cousin Nicky. He's going to warn you five minutes before the cops show up so that you've got time to collect all your stuff and get out of there. She suggested that we set up a timer on our phone so we didn't lose track of time. She said, time goes quick. And we were like, yeah, 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 sweet lady, just let us get in there and do our thing. And boy, did we do our thing. <laughs> the efforts of, of Luca and Bradley, Joe and I were pretty admirable, I must admit. We contributed, but nothing compared to Samuel. He would make a fantastic code breaker. At one point, my role was simply to stuff all the cash <laughs> and the jewels that Zamiel was finding into the duffel bags. And it was a full-time role. <laughs> there was a record to beat, and I am really competitive, and I really, really wanted to beat it. And I'm happy to say, we didn't just beat the previous record. We obliterated it. Didn't we, Luca? <laughs> so, one of the guys running it Oh, yep, yep. One of the guys running it said that he didn't think our total would ever be beaten, mostly because of the very uh, unconventional way <laughs> that we managed to get that jewel that uh, Bradley's so lovingly looking at out. They take a picture with you and your haul of treasure, and, and most of the signs read really pathetic amounts, like 800,000 or 1.2 million or even 2.5 million, but ours, as you can see, proudly reads 6.5 million. Just, just one itsy-bitsy detail that we missed. Pretty much everyone else's sign reads, they escaped with. <laughs> and as you can plainly see, ours reads, we got caught with. <laughs> so we, we've... Joe? That would be me. I don't know which guy you're talking <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's Joe. Plays drums here sometimes. Um, yeah, we we forgot the warning. We were so busy looking for more loot and uh, filling up the bags with all that cash that uh, we completely missed it. Make believe cousin Nicky. 
apparently warned us, but we didn't pay attention and we got caught red-handed. So off to fake jail we went. Not quite as successful as we thought. <laughs> so if I go back to Isaiah 43, verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing, and now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So I want to just focus on one thing at the moment. Shall ye not know it? I know that's good King James. The portion first. What does it mean to know something? So Genesis 3.5, we've got a series of verses. Genesis 3.5 says, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, that your eye shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. So I read a verse like that, and I'm thinking, hmm, to know and to have your eyes opened are in the same sentence. They're similar things. What about Exodus 36.1? Then wrought Bezalel and Elohiab, and every wise-hearted man, in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to the, all that the Lord had commanded. So these are the guys that were commissioned for the tabernacle. And I read that and I think, hmm, to know is to have wisdom and understanding. And then if we go to John 3.11, Jesus speaking, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. So trust Jesus to nail it home for me. I, I read that and I think to know is to have seen and to witness. In other words, to have knowledge of something from an observation or experience. So me and my motley crew of fake thieves and I were certainly told about this alarm, but it was another thing to witness it in action. Unfortunately for us, it was all a little bit too late. But rest assured we would know for next time that timer I think that was your job too, Luca. I didn't want to put you on the spot there, but that's all right. <laughs> so I believe in a biblical context, knowing is having wisdom and understanding is something and probably experienced to go along with it, ideally. In other words, you truly get it. So I think an appropriate title for this message is, Are You or Are We Getting It? I got given this little brief for this sermon, as we normally do for the prayer and self-denial ones. Uh, and there was this sentence that stood out to me. It says, The population decline in the Western church and the Western mission field can feel disheartening. Sometimes the way forward feels like a wilderness. So before we seek to analyze this, I just want to have a look at what the Bible says about wilderness. So in Exodus 15:22, So Moses brought forth Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So I read that, and I think, it's dry. <laughs> and there's also lots of verses that speak of great winds that whip around it. Or Isaiah 27.10, Yet the defense city shall be desolate, and the habitation forsaken, and left like a wilderness. It's desolate and forsaken. Very few people, lonely, isolated. Judges 8.7, And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord had delivered Zebah and Zalmanah into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. It's filled with thorns and weeds. So for the most part, the wilderness and the desert is described as dry, lonely, filled with thorns and weeds, and probably numerous other things that would try and hurt you. 
Now, there are people that think that the church has been in the wilderness for many years, and in a lot of ways, I agree. But I must admit, in the short time that I've been on this earth, the last few years have felt, at times, for me, very spiritually dry. Lonely, and the world seems to have become very unhospitable, unhospitable and hostile towards the church. Am I alone in this thinking? So, if we are indeed in a wilderness a spiritual wilderness as such, then how must we respond? Imagine for a minute if I was to click my fingers and all of a sudden you were in the wilderness of Paran, which is one of the locations of the wilderness as spoke about in the Bible. Maybe after staring at that vast, barren landscape, you'd begin to panic. And desperate to escape, you'd just start walking in any direction thinking, I can do this. I just need to keep moving. Surely I'm going to find someone or something somewhere. Or perhaps you just take out your phone, see that there's no reception, take a few photos, and then wonder what you're going to do to be entertained out there. What on earth are you going to do to pass the time until you're found? Or maybe you'd plop yourself down, head in your hands, crying, woe is me, and give up any hope then and there, that you'll find a way out of this. How long do you think you would last with any of those attitudes? Probably not long, eh? Because they all lack focus on the necessary priorities to keep you alive in a situation like that. I'm not a big outdoors person, I do enjoy it, but I only really know one name in terms of survival tips. Who's, uh, who's heard or knows who this is? It's not the greatest photo. <laughs> Mr. Bear Grylls, former SAS member and someone who's made a living out of surviving in the harshest environments. Mr. Grylls actually has an acronym as part of a piece of advice. He says, if you forget all my other advice, <laughs> remember this. It's remem please remember what's first. P-R-W-F, in order of priorities. So when the Lord led the Israelites out of Egypt, do you think he, know, he knew what they needed? Absolutely. So for a start, the P, protection. Leviticus 23, 43. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So... This is what I could find. There's lots of pictures of booths. Some of them look very flash. I purposely chose one that looked very homemade because um, there's actually the festival of booths that people still celebrate and they make very, very nice ones. So I thought maybe this was something more like what the Israelites had. And uh, as a side note, I kind of found all these fascinating Jewish commentaries about them, about how the Lord miraculously provided the materials and all this other stuff, like he, like he did with Jonah, the gourd growing up. But I'm kind of hesitant to confirm that because they're not biblical. So even if the Israelites bought the materials or tents with them from Egypt, how many here know that it's not just the importance of the shelter itself, but the location? I still remember going camping with my cousin, Israel. I still bear the scar of trying to chop wood in the dark. And a man very familiar with the outdoors now, and I remember saying to him, what about here, Israel? This looks good. And he said, not there. Uh, and he pointed to a nearby dead tree and said, those are called widow makers. They can fall over in the night and kill you while you're sleeping. 
So I said, all right, not near there then. <laughs> so what, did the, what was the Lord's attitude towards this? In Deuteronomy 1.33 we read, and this is talking of the Lord, who went out in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in, and fire by night to show you the way that you should go, and in a cloud by day. I really love that picture, that the Lord went ahead, the Spirit of the Lord went ahead to search out the best places for the Israelites to pitch their tents. No doubt the safest place, protected from the elements and hidden from enemies. And then in Exodus 21 and 22 it says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. To go by day and by night, he took not away the pillar of cloud by the day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So not only did this pillar of fire provide light at night and possibly protection from animals, I imagine it also provided much needed warmth, as desert nights can be freezing cold, especially if your body is acclimatised to the heat of the day. So the pillar of fire also protected them from the armies of Egypt, if you remember, and shielded them while they crossed the Red Sea. So what's next? Let's see if anybody can guess. We've got, oh, now I'm starting to... Please remember what's first. What do you think the R is? Sorry? Resource. I mean, that's not a bad guess. <laughs> not the right guess, but it's not a bad guess. Uh, it's a hard one. Rescue. The Lord had a rescue plan from the very beginning. This whole journey was actually a rescue plan um, from slavery to freedom. So the Israelites followed the pillar of cloud during the day and the pillar of fire during the night. So when they stopped, everybody stopped. When the cloud and the pillar of fire stopped, everybody stopped. When they went, everybody went. All the Israelites needed to do was follow. You can get, a lot of, you can get in a lot of trouble if you just storm off going. They say you should stop, sit down, think, prepare a plan. So what else do you think is a priority? You should be able to get this one. W. Yeah. <laughs> As my brother Israel has reminded me again very recently, you can go weeks without food, but only a few days without water. So Exodus 15, this is a bit of a, bit of a long one, 22 to 25, it's split up into multiple slides too, Luca. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the, rivers of, of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name was called Marah. And the people murmured before Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord hewed him a tree, which he cast into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, like a, a law or a command. And he proved them and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which was right in his sight, and will give ears to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought on the... And, Bought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Later on in Exodus 17:3, the people are complaining about water again. It says, And people thirsted there for water, and the, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? So you probably know the story the Lord instructs Moses to strike this rock, and that water would flow out which of course it does. Now some people think that this is the actual rock. Pretty cool, eh? 
Apparently it's not quite in the right place. <laughs> but it's still interesting to wonder. Um, now finally, depending on how long you're going to be in the wilderness, you get F from our please remember what's first. And right on target, after about a month of leaving Egypt, the Israelites start to complain about being hungry. Now I imagine we're all familiar with the Lord's response. In Exodus 16, 12-13, he says, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them, saying, At even, evening you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up, covered the camp, and in the morning the dew around the host. So the quail is this small bird, quite tasty. I'm told. We've never had one, eh? Having cooked it, maybe we should have it sometime. Quite tasty, I'm told. Um, and who knows what happened when the dew evaporated from the ground? What was left? Mana. The Bible describes it as a coriander seed-like wafer made with honey. To be honest, it sounds amazing. It's like, right, it's, it's definitely my taste in food. Psalm 78 calls it angel food. So, Mr. Bear Grills and, and the Word of the Lord line up pretty well. <laughs> if you work through chronologically, that's exactly the Lord addressed. Protection, rescue, water, and then food. So what's the point of all this? Well, if the church truly is in a wilderness, not a physical one as described mainly in Exodus, but a spiritual one, then are there parallels or comparison to the Israelite physical journey and our own spiritual one? So who can remember what was first on the list? Protection. Fairly simple. We must seek shelter and protection and nothing else but Christ. Psalm 61.3 says, For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. And Isaiah 25.4 says, For thou hast been a strength to the poor, strength to the needy in his distress a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against our wall. So not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom or anything the world offers, but in him. That pillar of fire, was it there on just particularly cold or dark nights? It says it was there on all the nights. God doesn't forsake his people. He is faithful. And also, just like the Israelites He's generous in providing us with people that walk alongside us that are on a similar journey. I've, to me, when I look at the isolated, and especially with all this COVID stuff, I think we need to remain in fellowship. <laughs> I can't count the number of times that I've sat around with brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ and found that what I was thinking that the Holy Spirit was saying to me, he was also saying to them. It's like the wilderness can be lonely and isolated and the, and the adversary wants us to be lonely and isolated. So other believers can speak into our lives and highlight the voice of God, as long as it lines up with his word, of course. And what was next? Rescue. Psalm 35.5 Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. 86.11 Teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. And 119.105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We must be making our way forward in truth, or else who knows where we're going to end up. 
the light and truth of the word of God needs to be our guide, our way through. We didn't go into a whole lot of detail about the cloud, but I love the verses that described what they looked at, what they saw when they looked at the cloud. They saw the glory of the Lord. What better aim to pursue, what, what better goal to walk towards than the glory of the Lord? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Can we confidently say that we're pursuing his glory in all that we do? Are we diligently following the pillars of cloud of fire, waiting for them to move? Or are we trying things to do things on our own schedule and in our own way? Next we had water. Back to Isaiah 20, Isaiah 43, 20. The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters to the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This place have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. And Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 4, By one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have, all, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Are we too busy trying to drink the bitter, unsatisfying waters of this world? Or are we thirsty for the sweet waters that only God can provide? The infilling of the Holy Spirit, the experience of his true peace and comfort. I stumbled across an idea put forth through Charles Spurgeon. He, uh, he ponders the interesting fact that the tree that was ordered to be cut down and thrown into the bitter waters of Mara was actually the cross, symbolism of the cross. 1 Corinthians 10 4 says, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And 1 Peter 2.24, who has own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live life unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed has the cross not done the same for us turned our bitter lives sweet healed us and speaking about Jesus that leads on to the manna the bread from heaven John 6.30 and therefore they said unto him what sign show us Thou then, that we may see and believe thee what thou does. What does thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and give light unto the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Are we nourished by Jesus? Sustained by what he did for us? Or like the Israelites in Numbers 20, have we grown bored of eating manna? Tired of hearing the good news of the gospel? Are our hearts lusting after something else? I was puzzled actually going through this and I thought, why the water before the bread? And um, 
The Holy Spirit illuminates the scriptures for us, that we may truly digest them. When I watched a few tips on Bear Grylls, he was saying that digestion actually takes water. So that's why you focus on water as well. Another reason to focus on water more than food. So yeah, I just I thought I'd throw that out there. It was a bit of a last minute thought I was coming here, but the Holy Spirit illuminates the scriptures for us that we may truly digest them. You might be thinking, yes, Mark, I've heard it all before. I'm to spend more time in prayer to God, read the Bible, forsake my fleshly desires, and I am saying, yes. (laughs) Are you getting it? There is no magic pill to a great relationship with God. Bear Grylls is actually a well-known believer. And he's quoted as saying, you can't keep God out. He's all around us, if we're just still enough to listen. Deuteronomy 8.2. It says, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord has led, or Lord thy God has led thee this forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou would keep his commandments or no. If the church has been humbled and its heart has been tested in this wilderness time, how do you think we're doing? I just want to touch on one thing before we finish up. My friend said to me something the other week that sparked my interest. What reason did God give Moses to tell Pharaoh about why the Israelites were leaving Egypt? Exodus 3.18 And they shall hearken to thy voice, and they shall come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech ye, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. It must have been hard for those Israelites to leave Egypt. Yes, they were slaves, but it was all they knew. 400 years, multiple generations. They were called to sacrifice all they knew and follow God. I must confess, just like the Israelites did, I have times looked back on my old life, especially in times of spiritual struggle, and wondered if it was easier before. And yes, in certain ways, life was less complicated. I didn't overthink things. In fact, I didn't think much at all. I just followed my fleshly desires. But just as Israelites were slaves, I was a slave to my flesh. Whatever it wanted, I obeyed, even to the point of it harming me. I've often thought, I can't do this, God. I can't go on. And you know what? I'm right. Without God, I can't. Just as the Israelites wouldn't have survived their spiritual experiences with him, just like they wouldn't have survived their wilderness experiences without him. Maybe you feel like you're alone in the wilderness, or maybe you've yet to sacrifice your old life to the Lord, to surrender it to him. As hard and as scary as that may sound, you will exchange it for freedom and the promised land of heaven. I personally believe that in this confusing and unpredictable time filled with strange doctrines and theories about all kinds of things, we have been drawn back to the basics, back to the true necessities of our walk with God. Church, unless we find shelter in the Lord alone, unless we seek his glory and walk in the truth and be watered by the Holy Spirit and nourished by the word of God, we won't survive a wilderness journey, let alone thrive in it. Time is short, 
If I were to liken it to my escape room experience, I would say we're in that last five minute slot. When God speaks and when God moves, will we miss it altogether? Or will we simply hear about it? Or will we witness it firsthand? Are you getting it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord God, that even when we don't know what to do, you do. And we ask that you would help us surrender to you, surrender to your way, Lord God. Drink from your waters, Heavenly Father. Eat your food, Lord God. And be satisfied with what you have to give us. We surrender this week to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.